So many of you know of my background in theater. I was active in theater all through high school. My undergraduate degree is from the University of Massachusetts, also in theater. And I pursued that knowing, even knowing full well, I wasn't actually going to work in theater, but still. But being part of the program and doing technical work as a stage manager, because I was the stage manager, not the actor on stage, equipped me for the multitude of tasks and skills, I got to say, needed for ministry, including having to be entirely online and recording worship for our first year together here. I am a far better minister because of theater. And that started, that path started when I said yes in the face of a no. So here we go. So freshman year high school, I became friends with some of my friends, uh, friends of friends through church. I gotta say, my, so I had a small town. My eighth grade class was a whole graduating class of 52. It's a small town. And I entered a regional high school of about 1,600 students. And so church connections helped immensely. The annual musical, they always did a play, they always did a musical. The annual musical that year was Pirates of Penzance, Gilbert and Sullivan. And this is a great musical for high school because it needs lots of Major General's daughters and lots of pirates, as well as the leads. And, you know, I went along with these friends, most of whom were about a year older than me, and we all tried out together. And then it came to the list of who made it. All of my friends were in. I was not. I didn't make the cut. I mean, I just didn't. I was a freshman, so they were kind of erring on the side of the older students. I can understand that. And I actually also really hadn't found a voice in that moment. But then came the first day of rehearsal, and my friends thought that I should just come with them. But they had this confidence that I should be there. I did not. I did not. I declined. I hesitated. I mean, showing up when I was told no was really not my style, especially by adults, right? But they persisted, kindly, gently, enthusiastically, and I agreed. So we all showed up together. But then the director looked at me and inquired. I said I was there, I just wanted to help. And so he declared that I was the assistant stage manager. Oh gosh. I, I, I was not good at it. But I joined the whole cast through the entire process. I learned the whole show as they did. And later in the process, these friends noted, gosh, you know, there isn't actually a stage manager. Maybe I should be given that title. And I was. Oh, gosh. I didn't qualify, but I got the title. And that show was just the beginning of being the stage manager for every show in high school until I graduated. All the plays, all the musicals, and then college. 
It's also that particular show is an inherent part of my internal and sometimes external soundtrack. I am the very model of a modern major general. I have information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England, and I quote the fights historical, from marathon to Waterloo, nor to categorical. I am very well acquainted to you as Mathers Mathematical. I understand equations both the simple and quadratical. About binomial theorem, I'm teeming with a lot of news, with many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. Yo. I may not have had much of a voice at those tryouts, but I did find a yes. Yes. What a deceptively simple and short word. Yes. Perpetually challenging, too. A conundrum, a puzzle, a mystery, a place to undiscovered things. Yes. We hear so many no's in our lives, including at ourselves, those that are self-inflicted. I can't, I won't, I shouldn't. Self-inflicted they are, self-limiting frequently. But also from people in so many ways, I'm sure every one of us has stories of people who have said no to us who should love us, who should guide us, who should respect us, and yet still say no. We have such a world of no. You are not good enough, you are not tall enough, you are not skilled enough, you are not young enough, you are not old enough, you are not white enough, and so on. A terrible, world-shaking no of no's. So when I talk about yes, I mean possibility, connection, the potential to shift the world, that we can love our neighbor, that we can love our earth. It is the freeing power of yes even when, and especially when, we have no idea what will happen. And yet we say yes. And I want to discern, I want to define, there's a difference between uh, yes all the time, like all the yes. And that's different than offering a healthy boundary in our lives, where we get to define personal space, emotional needs, mental health. You know, I'm part of the, the dirty dancing school of self-deferentiation. This is my dance space. That is your dance space. I'm a firm believer that no is a complete sentence. And there's certainly no's that we should be saying against injustice. If we continue Dr. King's work, for example, beyond, you know, celebrating one particular day of him, recognizing how many ways that he articulated the yes and the no around racial justice, around economic justice, and much more. In our work with pride and 
being welcoming, we are saying no to bias, to dehumanizing people because of their gender and sexual orientation, and we are saying yes to love and to being our full selves. So there is so much to work with in yes. I appreciate Kwame Alexander's TED Talk from 2017, The Power of Yes. He says, when we say yes, we are allowing our minds to create a reality for us rather than letting others create it for us. We are allowing our minds to create a reality for us rather than letting others create it for us. So this yes is an invitation to imagination, to one that is based in love, that depends on each of us participating and is also larger than us, is also the great power that comes from being this collective yes. And certainly, we know there's always no's. There's always no's. Alexander says, here's what I know. The no's are part of life. I think we got to learn to embrace the no's. They get they're going to happen. It's the way the universe works. But here's the cool thing. Once all the no's come to the party and they go home, they're exhausted. I love that image. All the no's show up and then they, they, spend their, they spin their wheels and then they're tired. Oh, they're done. And what's left is the yes. And we just need one yes. One great rumbling yes to go forward. And there are yeses all around us. There are people, we're, we don't have to, as a faith, as a tradition, as a church, we're not actually alone in saying yes either. I'm learning about, there are these in, increasing number of more independent congregations that are becoming more inclusive they're moving away. They may have started from a fundamentalist, conservative, evangelical Christian place. But they're moving away from that in the values and theology. From the religious news service in December, uh, Vinings Lake, I think in uh, Georgia, is one of a handful of spiritual communities across the U.S. sprouting from the soil of the ex-evangelical and deconstructive deconstruction movements. And while their Sunday morning gatherings retain the basic structure of many Christian services, they have music and teachings and fellowship, these collectives reject dogma, prefer questions over answers, and have no intention of converting anybody to anything. And here, they say, LGBTQ plus inclusion is not up for debate. People of all and no faiths are welcome, and Jesus can be a savior, a radical rabbi, or a metaphor, depending on your spiritual inclination. 
And what I appreciate about these folks, it reminds me of what we're also needing to do in this moment, defining themselves as much by who they are than by who they are not. They are defining themselves as positive. They're naming who they are, what's important, as opposed to simply dwelling in the reaction, dwelling in the no. So we are not alone as a faith in wanting spiritual growth, wanting to welcome, and needing to practice. No one tradition should have the monopoly or think they are unique. And yes, there are so many people who are searching and need beloved community. So part of our yes, individually and as, as a congregation, is to recognize how much we support and care and mutually respect one another as faiths as well. You have these values and drives toward inclusion, towards liberation, towards love that keep popping up in our human history. You know, again, the yes has been happening for a long time, even when severely squashed. The yeses to freedom and reason and tolerance and love keep persisting. So part of how we can say yes is to recognize that we have company and we have partners in the work. My colleague, the Reverend Peter Friedrich, says, I do think that there is a link between saying yes and our liberal religious values. I've said before, we are progressive yes people. We are people of possibility. We are called to look for and work for good for opportunity, for a world we can imagine, a world that is not yet, but will and can be. Our commitment to justice and equity and compassion, to inherent worth and dignity are all the ways we say yes, certainly to ourselves and certainly to each other and to our neighbors and to our communities and to the world, we must show up in this yes, and because we believe in the power of life and truth and love, and we are called to say yes every day, every day. Even when, he says, faced with the repercussions of mobs storming the Capitol or threatening our democracy or a very way of life. I still figure if my colleagues in Texas can be free and open with using the phrase unapologetically progressive, then we should too. Because we need that imagination that helps us say, yes, we have this human call into being, into a creative life. Even when everything is a mess. There's a feature on NPR yesterday in the show Through Line with a piece called When Things Fall Apart. And it reminds me how the stakes matter and how the system is hard. In the episode, they, the producers, the creators remind us with the depth of skepticism about human generosity 
about the depth of our self-interest, our selfishness, and all the ways that we ignore or dismiss our fellow human beings, all the ways that we dehumanize one another. And we have these spectacular moments in our history, in our society, when the systems that have been so poorly done to actually be generous to people fail, such as when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans in 2005, and those systems failed completely, entirely. And it was because of and on top of a deep legacy of racism. This terrible disaster was a fine example of spectacularly powerful no's. You had areas of the time where you had these white vigilantes with guns trying to say they were protecting people from being looted and ended up shooting all the, all the black people who were shot were shot by white men. Not good and very dangerous. But still people found each other, recognized their humanity and helped and kept helping. It came from a legacy of care in this case, found in generations of black communities. In that immediate moment, it came from the Black Panther organizations that had served the people for a long time. Folks from that moment took note of the context and applied compassion and real effort to their neighbors. All of their neighbors created a network like the porch pantry where that got started from of simply saying i see my people are i see my people are suffering and how can i be a center of help you had this legacy of mutuality being the foundation for people then saying we can do this now and here to be inspired to be motivated to find new forms to recognize how we have so much more in common than we have different and these people formed the common ground collective, defied the naysayers and the white vigilantes, and came together. And that group still works, still serves the neighbors, and is now restoring the health and stability of the environment of the coast. One of the show's creators in this through-line episode, Ramtin Arabule, talked Today it's really easy to believe that we live on a thin veneer of society. We're constantly being bombarded by bad news, by an onslaught of apocalyptic foreshadowing. It's become trendy to joke about the end of the world. Yo, go dumpster fires. And this, of course, isn't completely unfounded. Climate change is an existential threat. There's misinformation, runaway capitalism. But really, but really, who does it serve when we're all swimming in this toxic soup of pessimism and hopelessness and despair? Who does it serve? Rutger Bregman, a Dutch historian and author of the book Humankind, A Hopeful History, says in this episode, I've always believed in the power of utopian thinking. Every milestone of civilization at the end of slavery, democracy, equal rights for humans, 
They were all utopian fantasies until they happened. This is why I think, he says, that history is the most subversive discipline of all the social scientists. I love this. It's the most subversive discipline because history shows that things can be different. They don't have to be this way. We can change them. We can believe in the power of hope. And if you believe in hope, you're actually hopeful for the future, then you know you've got to do something. So let us go forth from this moment, from the context of so many no's. And remember that enduring spirit of yes that has been with us all the way. However long we've been part of this community, this congregation, there is this collective yes. What inspires you? What you dream? What moves you to love and serve? All adds up to something much larger than any one of us can create alone. So let's, let's accept this invitation to yes and discover where we might go. I hope you'll join us for the conversation after service today about the vision and vitality of this congregation or next Saturday as well. It is such a gift to be able to say yes with you as well. Let us go forth. Amen. <laughs>